0: split time between Berkeley and L.A., the Bay Area and L.A., yeah. So right now, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm, I'm, I'm here about half a month and then there and the other half. It's a
1: pretty nice situation you got worked out there. How did that go? You know, it's happened?
0: okay. It's it's a little tough with the family and touring, you know? So I, I don't know. I think at some point I'm going to have to make a choice. <laughs> You know, but uh, for now, it's, you know, as I'm sort of getting my feet wet again in the world after the pandemic, if it is indeed slowing down, which I tell myself, I'm getting, I'm getting reacclimated. And so, um, you know, this is what I was doing prior to the pandemic. And so I'm just sort of getting back, trying to get back to um, what I what I've been doing and pick up where I left off. and So we'll, we'll see where that goes in the next year or two. But I really love both. So I, I just, I, I do love California just in general.
1: How did you end up splitting your time? Is as that the a family years thing? have
0: gone on, it's like my career's changed, you know? And as my career changed and the industry changed, it's much more concentrated in, the, in LA and New York, you now, showbiz, And so I just, I found myself going down there so much for work that I ended up just getting a place, you know? And so now I find myself just down there working quite a bit.
1: That's kind of the decision is uh, sticking a barrier, like actually, you know, officially make the move for work and and move the family down there.
0: Potentially, you know, it it just sort of depends, you know, that was the plan before the pandemic. I don't know what. You know, I I kind of picked up where I left off, but I don't know ultimately how it's going to end, you know, because I don't know how like working remotely when everything shakes out. I don't know if things will still be the same, you know, it can work quite like the mechanics of working in the entertainment industry are going to be the same as they were pre pandemic. You know what I mean? So it's hard to say. I don't have all the answers, to be honest with you. Sure.
1: Nor am I expecting you to, and certainly not during I'm the prepared, pandemic.
0: You know, for whatever.
1: I'm always a little bit surprised that you like even prior to the pandemic that you know, especially somebody like you who you know obviously has an established career and and has a name and has been doing this for a long time. You know, I certainly understand. I talk to a lot of like bands, and I, I get why they feel like they need to you know move out of their small town and go to uh, to New York or LA. But has it traditionally for you been? important to be in a a really good
0: question. I think that when I first started making music, okay, so I I think it's there's a few factors that have changed the way that I I look at this now. You know, one one of the factors is when I first started out, I was only making music. And when I was at that at that point in my career, you know, in the nineties, that's how music was made. You 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 got in a room with a producer or you got in a room with you know a band or whatever and and you made this creation together everybody at once now obviously that's changed and most most of the work is has been happening via email over the past 10 years you know what i mean so two things changed for me number one i'm not just doing music anymore so i've been doing I've been acting. I've been doing voiceover. I've been getting involved in other aspects of entertainment. You know, I'm now a full-time label owner. You know, and so my roles have just expanded, and and my career has just expanded. So I can't all do. I can't do all those things from my bedroom anymore, you know, or my bedroom studio. And then, as far as making music goes, I mean, I'm just sort of tired of making music in that way. You know, I like being around other people. I, I like the synergy. I like the creativity that happens when people get in a room and they work together. And um, I like the flexibility that making music remotely offers. But I don't like doing that as a sole um, means of creation.
1: I talk to a lot of musicians, so we talk about this a lot. And I've always felt that this might be sort of like an inflection point or a turning point as far as people realizing that they can do more remote collaboration. But the thing that I hadn't really taken into account until we're talking about now is, you know, maybe to a certain extent, it will have the opposite effect, right? Because, you know, maybe a year of this and maybe a year of like doing, having every single interpersonal reaction we've had over two years be remote. Maybe in the end, when all this blows over, things are actually going to happen in person, more than
0: they did previously. I hope so, but I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it, in the normal, in the quote-unquote normal workplace, you know, people have found that working remotely in a lot of settings is perfectly fine. A lot of people are not going back to work in the office. As far as making music goes, particularly hip hop or computer based music, we've been working, quote unquote, remotely forever. You know, it's like I made it a point on Mobile Homies, even though we were in a pandemic, I made it a a point to get in the room with people as much as I safely could, you know what I mean? Just because I think we all craved human interaction so much over the past couple of years, you know, I really needed that for my soul, you know, and, and for my spirit. So I really tried as hard as I could. And as long as it was safe, we got in the room together, you know? Um, But one of the beauties again of hip-hop and sort of computer-based music in general is that you don't need to so that you can actually continue to create with people all over the world all over the country during a pandemic and continue to make records you know what i mean i made the best of it you know i made the best of it but i tried i tried to get in the room with people as as we say get in the room with people as much as i could
1: my first several years of doing the show, again, prior to the pandemic, I, I made a point of doing every single interview in person to to the extent that like I actually probably lost out on a lot of good interviews I might have gotten. Otherwise, obviously, like everybody else was forced to start doing this this remotely. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, the conversation that we're having right now, you're you're in your car in California and I'm in front of my computer in New York is um, certainly not as like intimate as it might be, you know, if we were sitting in front of right. each other and able to read each other's faces. But I, I'd be curious, you know, in my in my own work to sort of go back and, and compare and contrast and see if it actually has a really profound impact on, on what I make. I mean, have you noticed that there's a marked difference in terms of you know, whether it's collaboration or, or there's energy. always the
0: intangibles, you know what I mean? Like when you talk about it's interesting, like when you talk about You know, they talk about intangibles when they talk about teamwork, you know, and it's not necessarily just the stats or in in the case of baseball, like how many times you got on base or how many hits you got. I mean, those would sort of be
1: they, they talk about in baseball, they talk about being like a clubhouse right. guy. The
0: presence, you know, there's something about, you know, certain guys anchoring a team, even though they may not put up any stats, you know, and or, or just sort of gluing a team together or galvanizing a team or having some sort of effect that's not reflected in the metrics. Do you know what I mean? Or it's not reflected in in our case, the transpose what we're talking about, you know, it's just not reflected on take. You know, and and so I think we'll never know, but I think I think the assumption that we can make is that yeah, there's there's some intangibles there that we're 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 missing out on, you know, whether, you know, it just it could be vibe, you know, that somehow triggers or steers a conversation a certain way or you know there's always those things or you know the other thing that we don't always talk about is just how it affects either the subject or the interviewer's mood you know or you know those kind of intangibles you know we don't it's sort of hard to quantify those kind of things, you know what I mean? And, and I think for what we gain and convenience and access, and we, we may lose on the other side with those other things, you know, from just being in person. So I, I think there's a, there's a real value in real human and, you know, human interaction IRL, you know, and, and I think there's just a real value in that, that, I understand. I mean, it's just given the time, place and era that we're living in right now, it's not possible to, to sort of have that synergy all the time. But I mean, there is there is something there. And and I'm thankful that I'm of the age that I, I understand the before and after, you know, of, of technology, you know, and the benefits and the, and the, the challenges to both. So, I mean, there are times where, to be honest with you, I don't want to be in the studio. You know, I would much rather be at home or by myself or whatever. But then there's other times where I really, really crave being around a group of people, you know, the interaction, feedback um, that you can only get when you're when you're in a a group setting or, or sort of, you know, collective and creative environment and the immediacy. You know the immediacy of being in a room and kind of judging a reaction and changing course if necessary, just sort of you know making adjustments where, as opposed to like going back, via be forth, being emailed. Sometimes that's less efficient. You know, it's kind of like it's you know what I would liken it to. Like sometimes I'll t- I'll be texting with people and we'll just say let's just talk. We'll get to the meat of the issue faster. You know, sometimes it's just easier to have the conversation. And it's faster to have the conversation than it is to text about it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times nuance is missed, you know, when you're you're just sort of communicating digitally and other sort of like ancillary conversations can pop up or happen that are relevant that you wouldn't have anticipated. You know, I mean, just shit like that. You know what I mean? So I think there's values to both.
1: It's something that you probably understand innately being somebody who does... You know, not only makes music but, but performs music live. Is that instantaneous yeah. reaction? Especially like if you're making something and you send it out to somebody. You know, maybe depending on who you're working with, we're prone to yeah.
0: niceties.
1: The minute you you've done something and it is just and it is not hitting with somebody, you know, immediately. Well, yeah, and I
0: mean, it was crazy. Like during the pandemic, all these companies started popping up out of nowhere. They were just they were calling us up, willing to live stream a performance for us. You know what I mean? I don't think any of those companies exist anymore. You know what I mean? And I did a couple live streams for benefits, but I did it enough to know that that's not, it it, it fucking sucks, bro. You know, like to sit there with your band and you you can't pretend there's uh, 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in front of you. You just cannot pretend to do that. I mean, you can perform your song, but you know it's not really a live performance without the crowd i mean the crowd is a very important component of that you know especially with what i do you know you know i don't make classical music you know what i mean it's like the audience involvement is it's 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 really a key component to what i do you know All these adjustments, I mean, I think, you know, we were forced during the pandemic to just sort of push the boundaries and test the limits to see what actually works and what doesn't in that regard, you know, as we move forward.
1: A useful exercise of being able to extract yourself from all of these things, all these trappings around the industry that you've taken for granted because it's the way that you've done it all along. Now that you're forced into like new paradigms and new ways of creating music, at very least, for better or for worse, it's an opportunity to really
0: fundamentally rethink. Yeah, I mean, what you really have no choice. You know, you really had no choice. I mean, if you wanted to move forward, you really had no choice. I mean, if you if you really wanted to continue to make music, you were if you really wanted to. Con- I mean, it's it's sort of a metaphor for everything else that was happening right now. I mean, if you really wanted to go forward and you really wanted to continue to do what you were doing yeah, you know, and not just tread water, but to continue to excel at it or grow at it, you had to figure out new ways to do it. You know, you, you were forced to be creative in that way. Some people like myself, even, I mean, I took this moment to, to rest quite a bit. I didn't realize how much energy I had ex- been expended the past 20 years, you know, doing what I was doing. And it was really nice for me to not, I mean, pandemic notwithstanding. I mean, it was really nice for me to not do shit. For two years, like to not have to be on the road 100 days out of the year, 150 days out of the year, to not have to be in the studio every single day, to not have to basically, you know, create content every damn day. You know what I mean? Like it was I got a chance to finally catch up with myself, you know, and I think a lot I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people felt that way, you know, I, again, I'm not making light of how difficult it was, you know, but. On a certain level, I don't think I've slept this that much in 20 or 30 years. You know, like I'm, my body and my spirit and my mind really needed that time, you know, to be honest. So, but I did, you know, after about six months or so, I did start to feel that itch again. Like, fuck, I need to be making music or fuck, I need to be performing. Like, you know, it was nice to have a break. But then suddenly I started to feel more and more disconnected from my purpose. You know what I mean? That's why. I, that's why I started doing the podcast to begin with. It's just, you know, we're all stuck in the house. We're all trapped. We can't go anywhere. You know, there is no FOMO. There is no fear of missing out because everybody is stuck. You know what I mean? So you're not sitting here like, God damn, I'm missing out on what's going on in the Well, everybody's in the same boat. And that that's sort of sort of what made the Mobile Homies podcast possible because everybody was stationary. Everybody was locked in, And and it made people, you, you know, a lot of times I have a real hard time catching up with my friends because we're always in different cities. We're always on the road. We're always working on this project or that project. And it's really hard to connect. But I mean, for the first time ever, I just opened up, you know, my contacts and I had no problem getting in touch with anybody, you know, and saying, you know what I mean? Like it was really. And, and so, wow, what a what a what a great time to sort of just connect with people, you know, that, that really people I consider close friends, but that I might not have had conversations with in years. And that's that's how the Mobile Homies podcast even started. And then it was like, wow, what if I turn this into an album? you know i mean these are these are such great conversations and you know you start to really value the relationships that you have and you start to really value you know the concept of friendship and, and what that really means you know and how does that translate to music now and you start to see those things differently you know and it, it was I loved it. I've never worked with this amount of people on an album and I've, and I've collabed my entire career, but on a, on a single album, I've never worked with this many people. You know, it was great. It was great for my spirit. It was great for my soul. You know, it was just awesome.
1: Yeah. I think maybe what you were alluding to a little bit before is almost, I don't know if identity crisis is the right word, but I have this conversation with so many people where they almost whisper To me, the benefits that they had during the pandemic, because there's a sense of guilt, right, that comes with that of appreciating certain aspects of something where, like, a lot of people are dying and it has ruined a lot of people's lives. But it has afforded us, whether it's you know taking the time or being able to reassess things, for a lot of people, there have been some benefits. But it sounds like, for the benefits that you experienced and and the ability to to sort of take a pause and and back away from it, that maybe there was almost kind of an identity crisis. You know, once once you've like been away from this thing that you feel like uh, for. Better for worse has defined you for probably most of your life. At at this point, you start to wonder how much of your identity is tied to the thing you do
0: professionally or the art you put into the world. No, I mean that—that's a good point. And Mobile Homies, the album, the rest, the reset. I would put all. I would chart all of those things in the positive column. In the negative column, I went through my own depression. I caught COVID. I was disconnected from, you know, in this, in this regard, it's not different than anybody else. I was disconnected from my friends, from my family, from, from my purpose. I felt like I had a lot of friends die, you know, I had a lot of peers die, I had family members die. Um, I, have, I had a lot of people just disappear, you know, it was, a, it's, it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. I mean, and it really was, and it still is, you know, it still is. So I think the isolation was really hard for everybody and continues to be on a, on a lot of levels. I just felt like if I didn't make this record, I was going to lose my fucking mind. I, I'm just glad I had that out, but I'm just thankful I had that out. There. Speaking
1: of loss, I mean, you know, obviously uh, Gab died not long ago and still managed to, to make it on the record. So, I mean, that yeah. is, I don't, I don't want to say lucky, but like it clearly there's a blessing and you had this last opportunity to have a conversation with him and, and to work on one yeah. last track.
0: It's almost not fair in a way how many people we lost. You know, it's its really not fair. I mean, you know, within a few months we lost Gab, we lost Zumbi. We lost Biz, you know, Steezo, Godson. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. And it's really not fair in so many ways, you know, because half my peer group, damn near, my touring peer group from the Bay Area is either gone, has slowed down has died at this point and that's a fucking bummer that's really a fucking bummer and then you start to think you know you start to have some like survivors guilt you know and or what is that that's what they call that survivors room survivors course, remorse. Think, yeah. right and i'm just like y- you know and you can't help but think fuck am i next you know, I don't know anybody who, who those thoughts didn't go through their mind, and so thank God. And, and so that's one of the reasons why I did the podcast, and that's another one of the. I didn't know it at the time, I don't think, but that's another reason why I had to make this album because I'm like something I have to turn this into something you know this hat this caterpillar has to turn into a butterfly we have to do something with this this is not the way that the story is going to end and maybe that sounds dire or grave but i mean when you're in solitary confinement basically and you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know when it's going to end you start to have these kinds of thoughts especially as an artist it's disturbing it's disturbing because you, you, you know those guys. I, I I won't be able to tour with them ever again. You know those guys that that, that are gone. I won't be able to sort of share stories or jokes with or go go to our children's birthday parties anymore. You know what I mean? It's with a lot of those people that I was talking about. It's it's more than just we were more than just like peers or we were friends. You know, we had deep friendships and uh, it's like I found myself telling people that I love them more, you know, and and um, I, I think I, it really drove me. It made me put, you know, put my foot on the gas even harder to collaborate, you know, because the truth is, you know. You, you just you're forced to confront the fact that these, these people are not going to be around forever. And that, that's that's now more evident than, than ever. And, and you know what? You're not going to be around forever. So what are you going to do with your life and this gift that you have and whatever time you have left, however long that may be?
1: if we're in reasonably good health and if most of the people that we know are in reasonably good health we thankfully don't spend a lot of time dwelling on our mortality but once we're confronted with that and once we realize that this very obvious thing is staring us in the face yeah. that you know time is a really sure. that, that it is a finite resource and you and and I and you know we could live another 40 years but your ability to tour is a finite resource you might not necessarily you know want to be on the road when you're you're in your 60s beyond you know obviously we're talking about about this album and and the podcast that created it but do you get a sense of like how profoundly some of these realizations are going to impact how you work and the work you make oh going yeah forward?
0: man totally yeah you know because you know when i talk about this with myself quite a bit maybe even more than is healthy <laughs> you know but you know I, i'm at i'm at the point in my life as many of we are many of us are as where y- y- you realize well, shit i'm probably closer to the end than i am to the beginning you know what i mean now whether that's 20 years 30 years 40 years 50 who knows but y- y- i'm 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 definitely you know i like i was sharing with my wife the other day i went online and i for the first time i'm looking at okay average lifespan for the asian american male in the united states and here i am looking at these fucking charts you know it's funny but california almost has the lowest lifespan for asian american male new jersey of all places is the highest now now you know we're a very large ethnic group, so I'm sure there's a lot of nuances there and reasons why you know. But New Jersey was number one, and and all the you know mostly like I think I believe like the top ten states for Asian American male lifespan longest Asian American male lifespan, were on the Eastern Seaboard, you know, but most notably most notably the Northeast. Are you like honey or New Jersey? Not. You know, absolutely not. But I just, I love California too much, man. You know, I really do. I love California too much. But something's going on in Jersey, you know, that's giving us some extra kick, you know, (laughs) as Asian American males. I don't know what the fuck it is, but something's going on out there. You know what I mean? And then if you if you're a super fucking analytical anal Virgo like me, you say, okay, let's say I do live till I'm 88. You know, the last 15 of that, you probably don't want to be working anymore, even on a good day. You know, that means when you uh, American sort of work-life trajectory being what it is, you know, if you're the average person, you have to work later and later in life. So you're like 70 fucking three, you know, when you actually retire, which I don't want to do, you know what I mean? So, you know, you really have a good 20 years ahead of you, you know, and that is if you live that long, you know, 20 to 25 years. What do I want to do with that, time? You know, do I want to do the same shit that I've been doing in the same way? Do I want to embark on new missions with the wisdom that I have? Do I want to do the same things that I have been doing, but with that new wisdom? You know, what, what is it that I want to do? What am I really, what have I not done yet that I've always wanted to do? You know, what are my practical considerations, you know, with children and family and home? And, and what am I willing to wait out? What am I willing to not wait for? These are the kind of conversations I have internally with myself now that I didn't have before the pandemic. And you know, maybe these are all concerns that any man of my age or person of my age, these kind of internal dialogues that we start to have with ourselves. I don't know. I'm just having them now, you know, that's it. You know, like it's interesting. I, when I saw Will Smith start jumping off of bridges, bungee jumping, you know, um, when I saw him, like I'm in the worst shape of my life, I'm gonna do the 30 day challenge, and I'm gonna get in the best shape of my life. I understand that now. You know, I understand why. I mean, I'm not talking about the Oscars, but I understand. Of all, the wasn't examples. that a wild example? It wasn't that wild. I understand that now, though. That desire to sort of. What am I capable of? What do I, what, am, what do I want to do that I haven't done yet? You know, what, what can I still pull off? I lost 60 pounds in the past three years. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like I may have actually hit that number. now. <laughs> that New Jersey Asian American male number. I feel like i may actually hit that. I have a greater chance of hitting that now. What did I always want to do? I always wanted to be in shape. Well, now's your chance. You don't have shit else to do. You know what I mean? Get on the yoga mat, start doing some fucking dead bugs, some side bends, some sit-ups, some push-ups. When have you ever had the chance or the wherewithal or the time or the the headspace or the bandwidth to think about just yourself? You know what I mean? And not your art, and not your family and not your release schedule and not your tour schedule. I I tried to make the best of it. You know, despite the world being where it was despite this fucking killer virus you know what i mean despite you know friends family and peers dying i I tried to make the best of it you know i tried to make the best of it and i'm i'm really proud of myself you know in terms of what i was able to accomplish in two years i really am and, and i feel like the relationships that i do have now are much deeper every single person on that album i have a much deeper relationship with than i did before the pandemic and more so than if i would have just made that album in normal terms like real conversations came along with those songs with those songs very heartfelt conversations came along with every single one of those songs you
1: know i interview people as part of my job and obviously i try to have as real of a conversation as possible. But it's, you know, sort of the um there's a little bit of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle happening there. Anytime you observe something, you automatically change it. And I know that talking to you or even talking to, you know, somebody that I've known for a long time of friends, if I'm doing it in front of a microphone and this is going out to people, the the medium invariably changes the nature of the conversation you're going to have for better or for worse. But it sounds like even in spite of the fact that at least a lot of these were ostensibly done for a podcast that you were still able to, to break through.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think everybody was of that same mind. They wanted to, we were ready. We craved it. You know, a lot of those conversations in the podcast continued for hours offline, you know, afterwards. Just via FaceTime or telephone, or days later, we were also starved for interaction and validation, and to be seen, you know, and just to be heard and to be acknowledged, and just to just just to have somebody to laugh with, you know. I, I don't tell people this, you know. Gab did not die of COVID, you know. He, he, his cause of death was not COVID, but I do believe that had he not been so isolated you know, he, he was, he was compromised, you know, his immune system was compromised. He had just, he had just gotten his kidney transplants, you know, just prior to COVID, you know, he was still on a lot of medication so that, you know, because the body needs to acclimate, you know, I, I do believe that there were all these ancillary sort of effects that COVID had, and it wasn't just the coronavirus, you know what I mean, that that accelerated a lot of people's difficulties, you know. Um, and in Gab's case, I think that the isolation really w- was difficult for him. It was difficult I- in a different way than the average person. You know, the isolation for us is th- was th- is difficult for those of us that don't have, like, serious health conditions the isolation is difficult for us mentally and spiritually and et cetera. But for him, it was also difficult because just the things that we take for granted, it was, he couldn't get to the hospital as he needed to. He couldn't get to the store as he needed to, because he's so compromised that, that, you know, he has to have groceries brought to him. He can't be out public, you know? And, um, that's so. That's things we don't really consider when you're healthy, you know, physically healthy, you know. But as as a guy who you know stro- who was recovering from uh, a kidney transplant, I mean, we were all looking for. We were so rooting for him. I mean, the life expectancy for people to live without kidneys is very short. He doubled that. I mean, he just beat every single fucking odd. You know what I mean? When it comes to a person living with kidney disease, you know? And when he finally got his transplant, he was hoping for one, he ended up getting two, you know, just prior to COVID. I mean, it was a huge, I mean, it was, you're like, oh, this is God's plan. You know what I mean? And we were all looking forward to that walk in the sun for him, you know, when he was going to fully emerge as a fully functional gift of gab, you know, after COVID with two, Brand spanking new kidneys, you know what I mean? He's gonna be out there in the world. I mean, well, I was fearful, quite honestly. I was like, oh shit, he was a beast of an MC already. What's this gonna look like now? Fuck, that means I gotta work harder? Shit. And, but we were all looking forward to that, and unfortunately, it didn't happen, you know. But, you know, I, I think my takeaway from that is you just gotta be grateful. For what you do have these moments that you do have you know this time that you do have you're forced to make adjustments in your life of what you're willing and not willing to accept or live with anymore because you realize that that time is so limited it's, a, it's been a journey man For sure. In these two short years, man, it's been a
1: Did you find through those conversations that your own struggles paralleled those of a lot of your, your friends and peers?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, where I'm very fortunate is I had a family that I lived with, you know, um, some guys lived alone. Some guys didn't have partners. Some guys didn't have families. And I mean, I think I'm thankful that I had that. Even, you know, even, You know, I don't care who you are. Any couple that tells you, oh, shit, it just went swimmingly. We were together every day. It was awesome. Twenty-four. You know, I'm not saying that. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying I didn't feel like I was stranded on an island. You know what I mean? And so I'm thankful for that. You know, and it also, you know, it illuminates, it highlights – all the places that our relationships work and where they need work because you whatever reality that you're in or that you are a part of, you're forced to sit with it when you're in quarantine and you're not working. And you, you, you know, you're really forced to sit with and sit in your reality you know like in the past if I had a problem I was able to sort of kick it down the road because hey I'm going to go out on tour for a few weeks I'll deal with this shit when I get home or not you know what I mean and um, you can't do that when you're when you're stuck at the house you know what I mean you can't whatever, whatever feelings that you've been ignoring or just sort of been tone deaf to or whatever bill you haven't paid so to speak you have to sit with that you have to wear that you know you have to you have to come to a decision on how you're going to deal with that likewise whatever dream you deferred whatever opportunity maybe that you've had that you didn't quite see before you're able to dive in it's interesting in that way you, you, you're sort of all the blankets are on the bed you know what i mean <laughs> if that makes sense you know so it's wild bro it was psychedelic man it still is you know in a lot of ways
1: i've noticed that people tend to have gone in one or two directions you know either didn't do much in the way of work or just completely threw themselves into sure. it. it you know it sounds like you did the former and, and you're in a a lucky enough place that you were sort of able to do that, right? That you were able to kind of defer that and, and, and live your life and, and appreciate other things. But other people just completely plowed forward and just did more work than they might have otherwise.
0: Yeah. Are you there? Are you still there? Yeah. But it was a for me, yes. But it was a different kind of work. You know, like for the first six months to a year, I I didn't write a thing. I was just not inspired. I didn't pick up a pen. I, and because my my spirit finally caught up with me, you know, it's like, bro, you've been running on fumes forever creatively in, in this lane, you know, in the songwriting sort of performing lane, you know, it's like you've been running on fumes forever. It, it became a job. It was clear that I was just I had a, I was clocking in like anybody else towards the end. You know what I mean? And I did not feel inspired to write a single word. You know, for like the first six to eight months of lockdown. But I did discover other things that I loved. I loved cooking. I got better at it. I was able to do Start Dinner and Plates, which I'm still doing now. I was able to start a podcast. I was able to, you know, really dive into health and fitness, you know, which I in my entire fucking life, did I ever think I would ever do a pull up? You know what I mean? No chance. You know what I'm saying? I was able to really take a, an inventory and see where I, a friend of mine was like, you know, wow, you're really thriving in quarantine. I'm like, no, I'm not fucking thriving. I'm just finding other shit that I, that I, I'm discovering other things that I, I like. You know, nobody's thriving in quarantine. I'm just discovering other things that I like. When I when I look at my sort of career now and I look at sort of the pie graph that my career is now, it's like music is certainly probably the biggest part of the pie, but it's not the only part of the pie. Other things grew during quarantine, you know, out of necessity because the pressure makes you find other things, you know, and I'm really happy about that. You know, I'm, I'm a much happier person now, you know, than I was before, because I really did feel like music defined me and I don't feel that way anymore. You know, I really don't feel that way
1: anymore. You use the word depression. And and, and I don't know, like, you know, obviously people mean a lot of different things when they say depression. Yeah. There's, there's clinical depression. There is sort of the depression that I think that we all suffer to a certain extent during the the pandemic. Right. Right, to different degrees, obviously, but either one of those tends to have an impact on your ability to not only create music but 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 enjoy music. And I'm curious if that if dealing with that is part of what made you back away from music for a bit.
0: Well, I started the, the interesting thing is I started listening to way more music, you, you know, like pro, it, it, it's it's like you ever you know you ever been to a diner. And, uh, you just, (laughs) right. And you, I live in New York city, man. Yeah. Yeah. And you, like you you ever sat at the counter at a diner and you just see the cook throw all the finished dishes up in the window, like all the finished meals. he, He puts them all up on that little counter and he hits the dinger and the server comes by and grabs them all. But then, you, you you know, sometimes you're sitting at the counter and you see all those meals start to pile up. You know, like the server hasn't quite like, made it back there yet. Maybe the server is running behind or, you know, it could be any number of things. That's kind of how I was prior to the pandemic. You know what I mean? It was like the dishes were going out. They were piling up, but nobody was coming to pick them up. You know what I mean? Nobody was putting any orders in. So, you know, that's my sort of weird metaphor denny's way of saying that my output was higher than my input was you know and my intake was you know what i mean i was listening to very little music and when i was listening to music i didn't really enjoy it like i felt like i should have been you know what i mean and and that was one thing about quarantine that was awesome that has continued to this day i'm mean, listening to fuck i couldn't have got through it without music I couldn't have gotten through it. I listen to more music now than I've ever listened to in my entire life. You know, I have music playing all the fucking time now, you know, and I didn't before. I didn't before. It was almost like towards the end, I started to resent me towards, towards the end leading up to quarantine. I almost resented music. You know what I mean? Because it was like, it just reminded me of all the shit that I had to do, you know, all the deadlines that I had, all the, all the turn-in dates that I had or missed, you know what I mean? All the gigs that I got on the calendar coming up that I'm not prepared for, I don't have the energy for. When
1: I was going to school, I had a friend who was a film major and, you know, he had that sort of classic film 101 reaction of, I, I just I couldn't watch movies with him because you know, he would like, the things that he learned that day or that week, he would really sort of like deconstruct the scenes and it just became completely unbearable. But I But I think there's something to that. I'm a professional writer or i podcast and it and it can make it hard for me to listen to or read people doing what i do because you get hyper analytical you know once something does become your job even if you don't want to treat it like your job there's there's really still that element of it completely transforming the lens through which you consume these things yeah
0: and i think that was that was part of it for me was that i just i'd associated music with work only work and labor you know that's what i associated music with as as opposed to just enjoying it you know and and listening to it and loving it and singing along with it and dancing along with it and cooking along with it and and doing all the shit that everybody else does you know and i didn't have to create it you know i could just listen as a listener and um i think it's that really built up my spirit. And that really kept me strong. I, I, you know, I'd been a creator for so long that kind of stopped being a listener towards the end. And I really needed that. You know, I really, really needed that. It's
1: a key part to conversations that I think people gloss over because too often when you're talking to somebody, you're, you're waiting for your turn or, you know, you're thinking about the question you're going to ask or the thing you're going to say, but there's an element of that uh, I assume I'm not really a musician myself, but I assume that in collaboration, um, a really important part is being a listener and being a consumer and appreciating the thing that the other person's doing.
0: 100%. 100%. And, you know, a lot of times you have to. I remember when I first started making music, it was all about being the best MC in the world, you know, and I still do rap to be the best. But I also rap to make the best song, you know what I mean? And I also realize that a lot of the people that I don't work, that I work with don't share that same aspiration, but it doesn't make them a great guitar, not make them a great guitar player. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm a, I am feel like I'm a competitive person by nature, but I'm able to sort of frame that now in a way that doesn't serve my ego on on a song. In other words, if the song calls for a 12-bar verse, that's what it is. I'm not going to write a 30-bar verse just so, you, just so I can show you how well I can rap. I'm not going to shoot it. You know what I mean? That doesn't serve the song well. That is important. That is important. And that's, especially when you're collaborating, that's important. Because you have to, you have to, leave space for people you know you don't want to suck all the oxygen out of a song and then just so you can shine and then the song sucks you know what i mean you have all these great talented collaborators you're not letting the best idea win you know what i mean and i think that's an important thing that i had to learn over the years you know because i came out of ultra competitive hip-hop scene you know in the 90s and I mean, it still is, but at this point I consider myself more of a songwriter and if you're going to be a successful songwriter, you have to work with people because you can't these songs don't get created in a vacuum with you you alone
1: that's maturity you're talking about there but i also i assume that to a certain extent it also is just not that you don't still have things to prove, but but that you have proven yourself right that you have made a name for yourself and, and 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 people know you you don't necessarily feel the need to to crawl over 15 people to to get your bar out there yeah
0: you know i, don't, I, I just and just to be clear i don't know that i feel that way i think the people that know me know me you know i think the people that know who i am know who i am but the set of challenges changes you know the criteria for what makes a great rapper changes over time do you know what i mean i mean i think about it like this the fact that We can consider, and I put myself in this category too. There's a there's a camp of people that feel like Drake is one of the greatest rappers of all time, even though it's widely known he doesn't write all of his own music, his own lyrics. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and and I'm sure there's still a contingent of people that still feel like, well, fuck that. How can you even consider yourself one of the greatest if you don't write? I don't put myself in that category the criteria for me and for most of the listening public at large is how good are the songs? Do you know what I mean? Like they don't give a shit who wrote it. They don't care who produced it. How good is the actual song, you know, that, that you attribute to this person's name, you know? And I feel the same way. I don't care if he wrote his shit or not. I don't care. I like this song, you know, uh, look at little Nas X, would the would the rap community, the world, the industry at large, have celebrated slash even tolerated a gay rapper 10 years ago? This is how far we have progressed. This is how what, what I mean to illustrate here is that the criteria for what we consider great and acceptable from our artist has broadened. You know, it's not as narrow as it once was. You know, and I love that, you know, I love that for us. You
1: know, <laughs> you know especially with LGBTQ issues. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's wild to think that that wouldn't have been acceptable 10 years ago. But you know, I mean, you're 100% right on that. On the idea of having something left to prove something that you mentioned earlier, one of the things you were mulling over as you were having these sort of, you know, soul searching moments was this question of what have you not done yet that you would still like to do? Is is that a question that you've been
0: able to answer? No, no. Um, there's still a lot of milestones in my life that I haven't accomplished and the future milestones, you know, that I'll get there, but there's still a lot of things I haven't accomplished. I mean, I want to do more in film and TV, you know, um, there is still more that I want to do in music, but you know, when I started, it was like, you know, I read this interview with LL one time and he was like, you know, back when he started with, with Rubin and, and Russell Simmons, he was like, the industry was such, and it was in, in, in its infancy back then in the eighties, that if you would have told me that I would have had to climb Mount Everest and, you know, to, to make a record, I would have done it. You know what I mean? And there was a time when I felt that way, too. That's I'm 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 not there anymore, but there are still things that I would climb Mount Everest for, you know what I mean? And I'm still doing that. You know, I I I know that there's a future beyond what I've just done in film and TV, you know, and thankfully it's been very difficult for me in this industry as an Asian American in film and TV and music, just entertainment in general. You know, it's been very, very difficult for me, and and, and um, that is changing now, and that has changed exponentially over the past five years. You know, I'm proud to be a part of that change, and I'm proud that I can, that I'm still around to participate in it. I want to see that go further. I want to see that move further. You know, than it is right now, than where it is right now, and and I'm I'm just. I've, I've, oh God! I've been so fortunate in my career. A lot of the shit that happened that I thought were setbacks actually ended up being blessings. And I'm just—I'm almost speechless—and I'm floored sometimes of how how fortunate I've been, you know, in this life, you know. And um, you know, a lot—a lot of that has been highlighted by the pandemic. I mean, the fact that—I mean, j- just that I'm able to still be here in great health doing what I do. And then it keeps getting bigger every year at this stage in my career. It's unprecedented when you really think about it, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. And, and there's so much more opportunity out there for a person like me now with the skills and the track record and, and the talent and the drive than there was Ten years ago, twenty years ago, when I first started,
1: I don't know if this is something you you know you think about. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you, you have thought about it, but we talk now. We, we didn't as much back then, but we talk now about this idea of you know of representation yeah. and about how important it is to like yeah. to see someone who 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 looks like you yeah. in media. Yeah, and and I know that you know as somebody who grew up listening to hip hop, you didn't you didn't have that a lot. I mean, obviously you had you no, know no, there were some contemporaries, not a
0: lot at at all. At all. At, at all. all. At all. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. So, sorry. Continue. <laughs> Continue. Yeah.
1: You're right to call me out on yeah. that. I, 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 I was being diplomatic for no good reason. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I'm like damn, the Automator. is like a temporary, baby. Yes. maybe about as good as you can get with right. that. But it must just be this sort of profound thing to be able to, to look at it realize that one of the reasons why those opportunities are available is because of some of the trails that you've been able to blaze and that you, you know, have been and are that person for a lot of people.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I mean, humbly speaking, it's true. It is true. You know, I mean, for years, decades, I felt like I was out on an island, you know, and I don't feel that way anymore. Thanks. Thank God. Thank God. You know, I, I think the thing that's really lost on people, it's lost on critics. It's lost to other people in the industry, particularly non Asians is like, there was nobody that I could point to, and be like oh so that's how you have a 30-year rap career as an asian american in this business oh that's how you do it oh that's the roadmap oh that's the network you know in the executive office that i can sort of reach out to and get a a, a, you know who will who will reach back and help me out you know you couldn't say those things when I was starting you can say that now you can say that now you know and I'm so proud of that and now listen I have my own reasons not all of them healthy not all of them function you know some of them dysfunctional dysfunctional as to why it was that I would stick it out in so many impossible situations over the years, you know what I mean? Where maybe a lot of people would not have and probably shouldn't have for their own mental health. You know what I mean? But for whatever reason I did, man, you know what I mean? And I'm, you know, I was, I I talked to a lot of, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm name dropping, but I talked to a lot of my friends and peers are in the business in show business not necessarily music but they're like we equally have so many difficult what a lot of people would consider to be horror stories to get to where we got you know and all of them are in therapy now including myself (laughs) you know what I mean so it comes with a price it came with a price you know but the fact of the matter is Yes, we were rounding the bases for everybody else before after us. But not only that, we're able to participate in what we created. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I'm also most happy about. You know, I could have quit. A lot of guys did. I could have quit 10 years ago. Believe me, if I was in it for the money, I would have stopped a long time ago. But I didn't. You know, and I'm, and I'm able to participate. I'm able to, to, to jump in the jumpy house that I blew up you know, that we blew up, you know what I mean? And it's great. It's fucking awesome. But it came it, it it came with a cost. Talk to anybody in my peer group, it looks like me, name ends in a vowel. who has had some success in show business. And some of the stories that you will hear, well, maybe you want to go to therapy. You know what I mean? And it, it, it's come at a cost. It's come at a tremendous cost for a lot of us. And um, I look forward to the people coming up behind me to not have to do that, to not have to endure that.